Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a PGY1 psychiatry resident physician. In this podcast, we discuss whole person health and wellness through an osteopathic lens, holistically addressing the body, mind, and spirit. We also discuss topics important to medical trainees, including pre-med students, medical students, and residents. Thanks for joining me. Hello, everyone. This episode is about ERAS, which stands for the Electronic Residency Application Service. So this episode is super important for fourth-year students, rising fourth-year students, and third-year students looking ahead. So ERAS is what what medical students use to apply to residency positions. And I've had a bunch of episodes about this in the past. This episode in particular is going to be more of a walkthrough through the application and the different parts of the application that you can actually start working on even before ERAS opens and that you can actually use the portal to upload your application and work on it on the site. Some of these things you can think of in advance um, and you should think of in advance. And even if you are in the beginning years of medical school, like maybe you're a first or second year student, it's also not too early to think ahead about what sorts of experiences you want to pursue because you'll have to have quite a few experiences to include on the ERAS application to be competitive for residency. I want to direct you to a few of my other episodes so that you can listen to those as well because they include a lot of useful information that I'm not going to have time to go into in this episode. So one that I'll direct you to is called Preparing for Fourth Year of Medical School away rotations. This is actually one of my most listened to episodes. And um, in that one, I really do focus on the process of selecting a specialty and planning for away and audition rotations, what sites to use for that. And that is really for third year students. I Highly recommend listening to that episode by January of your third year so that you can start planning for your fourth year. So that's one that I'll direct you to. And then I have two episodes on personal statements for residency. So it's really just divided into two parts. Um, One focuses a little bit more on the common mistakes that applicants make. And then the other one focuses a little bit more on tips for writing your personal statement, how how to get started, what to talk about, and the logistics of the personal statement, like how long it should be. So that episode on preparing for fourth year of medical school way rotations, that is episode 78, so that you can find it more easily. And then the two episodes about personal statements is episode is episode 90 and 91. I have an episode about what to consider when choosing where to apply for residency, so this is more about making your list of programs. That is episode 93, and sort of related to that, I have an episode about how to specifically use Residency Explorer and Frida. That is episode 94, 
Then episode 95, it's called how to use NRMP data during the residency app season. So this is something that you can use even before the season starts to see if you're competitive for your specialty, to decide how many programs to apply to, and to know your chance of matching. So I recommend that one too. Episode 88 is one that I talk about match day 2023, the residency match process and my results. So in that one, I recorded right after match day and I talked about my initial thoughts after submitting my rank list. I talked about how the match process actually works, which is important to know. And then I talked about my reflection about where I matched. So that one is also useful. And then lastly, I had an episode, it was episode 85, that came out after there was news of the residency applications or ERAS changing a little bit. So that episode is called Residency Applications, Timeline and New Changes to ERAS. So that one is specifically talking about the changes from the 2023 season when I applied to the 2024 season that is going to have a lot of new changes. And at that point, when I released that episode, uh, there was some information about what changes were being made, but there was no, no actual visual about what the application would actually look like, which we do have access to now. So that's why I'm taking a separate episode to talk about what goes into the application in detail. So go listen to those episodes. Uh, You can listen to this one first and then go back to listen to the other ones in really no particular order. But if you are applying this cycle or next cycle for residency applications, I do recommend listening to all of those. So walking through ERAS, so first of all, I'm gonna direct you to the AAMC website. So this is the website that hosts ERAS. Uh, They also host MCAS as well to apply to medical school. So it's probably a site that you've used before. And they have some, if you go to the applying to residency section and you click on the ERAS tools and worksheets for residency applicants, there are quite a few links that are really going to help you out. There's an applicant user guide that is updated every year. There's an FAQ, there's a residency timeline, there is a document that talks about the fees for residency applications. There's an applicant worksheet that I'm gonna specifically highlight. And then there's a residency applicant checklist. So for the 2024 ERAS season, that actually opened up already on June 7th. And in future years, if you're listening to this episode, typically the ERAS season will end at the end of May and open at the start of June. But really, ERAS season is going to really start in August, where you're going to want to work on your applications. And then you can begin submitting usually the start of September for the 2024 cycle. That's going to start. September 6th in 2023. And then residency programs can begin reviewing your applications on September 27th. So in future years, that's probably going to be pretty consistent with 
sometime in the end of September. So make sure you're going to the AAMC website to confirm when those specific dates are because that date that you're given where residency programs can begin reviewing your application is really the deadline for getting your application in. And I say this because this is very different than the rolling admissions that we see when we're applying to medical school. So with residency programs, you want everything submitted ahead of that date. Don't wait until the day before because everyone's going to be on the site and it has crashed in the past. So you have to make sure your applications are in because many programs on that first day that they're able to review applications, they may download all of the applications and that is what they're using for the entirety of the season. Unless you specifically reach out to them and say, hey, I applied late. But when you do that, they're going to be wondering why you applied late. So you'll probably need a pretty good excuse for that. I know some applicants will do this if they, if a few weeks into the season, they're not getting interview invites and maybe they applied to a pretty competitive specialty that they overestimated that they would be competitive for. So in that case, many of those applicants may choose to then shift a little bit and do apply to another specialty, like maybe family medicine or internal medicine. And when they submit those applications late, they'll have to reach out to each individual program and tell them to download their application because those programs may not see it when it's submitted late. But obviously that's not ideal. You want to know how competitive you are for your specialty so that you do apply from the start if that is the right choice for you. So those are just some dates to know. So really that means that August you want to you want to in particular get everything organized. You want to be using the applicant worksheet. You want to be organizing everything, getting your letters of recommendation in. And then September is where is when you're really going to input everything and you're going to submit it. There's no benefit in submitting early, but it is useful to submit a few days before that date that programs can pull can pull applications just because the site the site might be inconsistent and you don't want to be rushing into the last minute. So another thing to consider is the... I'm now providing personalized assistance specifically to medical students. I can help with editing your CV for away rotations or other opportunities. I can aid in revisions for your personal statement, and I can help edit your ERAS application. I will catch your grammar and style mistakes and also provide feedback on content revision so you can craft documents that make you more competitive. There are so many expensive services out there that charge hundreds to thousands of dollars on reviews, which is why I'm offering a much more affordable service with different price packages based on your needs. While many services out there are led by staff members who are years to decades removed from their experience as medical students, I'm uniquely positioned to help you as someone who has been through this process recently and as someone with professional writing and editing experience. Use the link in this episode description to learn more about the services I offer for individualized help. 
price of ERAS. So with application fees for the first 10 programs in your specialty, in a given specialty that you're applying to, it's going to be $100 in total. And then within that specialty, for each additional application, it's going to start out $19 each for each additional program that you have from 11 to 20. And then from 20 to 30, they start to become $23 each. And then once you go past 30, each application is going to be $27 each. So you can do this math and decide how many you want to apply to. Uh, because of this, if you are dual applying and you only want to apply to a few programs, you might as well just apply to 10 programs because you're going to have to pay that $99 or $100 anyway. Even if you apply to one program in an additional specialty, you're still applying $99. So you might as well apply to 10. But it's helpful to look at past data with how many how many programs each each applicant applied to in a given specialty on average. And then based off of your exam scores or your or just your feeling about how competitive you are as an applicant based off of your experiences and your devotion to the specialty, you can uh, apply to maybe less or maybe you decide that you're not very competitive, so then you might want to apply to more. But just know how much this is going to cost you. Do the math and make sure you have that money set aside. It's a good thing, at least now, that most specialties are going to have their interview process virtual so that you don't have to travel as much because that was a major cost burden for a lot of students that really limited how many they were able to apply to and interview at. Now it's really only family medicine that does a substantial amount of their interviews in person and even with that it can vary across different regions. But that is me speaking about the 2023 cycle. Personally, me applying to psychiatry, all of my interviews were done virtually. None of them even offered in-person interviews, though some of them did offer second looks in person. Those second looks had no effect on how they were going to rank me. It was just for additional information if I wanted to visit in person and get an idea of how the program was in person. I'm often asked about what question banks to use to study for medical school board exams, and I always recommend TrueLearn. TrueLearn helped me score competitively on Comlex Level 1 and Level 2, shelf exams, and the USMLE Step 1 and Step 2. And I'm currently using their question bank to study for Level 3. I love TrueLearn's practice questions because they include detailed answer explanations and comprehensive analysis of how you're doing compared to your past progress and compared to your peers. I am so happy that FirstLine has partnered with TrueLearn. For a discount on your subscription, use the link in the episode description and use code FIRSTLINE at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-N-E. One word, no spaces, no capitalization. Okay, so now I want to talk about the applicant worksheet. 
So a lot of this is very straightforward. It's going to ask you things like your name, your email, your birth date. Very self-explanatory. Uh, you can put in your preferred name and preferred pronouns as well. When you're looking at your putting in your mailing address and your permanent address, make sure your mailing address is actually where you live. That's probably going to be where you live for medical school or wherever you're doing fourth year rotations. You can, if you want, include if you're staying like if you're staying with your parents a lot during fourth year uh, to do to do rotations, then you can also put in their address as the current mailing address. There's not a problem with that. But there's also a section for your permanent address. And this is one that I would say if you have a family member that if you do have a parent that especially if they live in a region that you are applying to residency, it's really helpful to put in that permanent address. So for me, for example, I put in my current mailing address as the address of my apartment in Virginia where I was going to medical school. But my permanent address, I put in my dad's address where I was actually staying for the majority of fourth year. And that had a Pennsylvania address. And I was not applying to any residency programs in Virginia, but I was applying to a lot of residency programs in Pennsylvania. So including that address really does help because some programs will look at at least the state of your addresses and they can easily see if you have a connection to the area with that. And then there is a section that asks you if you're participating in the NRMP match, which for most of you, that answer is going to be yes. As soon as you can, you want to apply for an NRMP ID and have access to that account because ERAS is really just for applying for programs. The NRMP is where you're actually going to input your program's information to make a rank list at the end of the season. So these, these two processes are pretty separate and they're on different sites, so keep that in mind. And it helps to have an NRMP ID before you even get started with interviews because programs can start working on their rank list pretty early and they need your NRMP ID for that. So make sure that's listed on your ERAS application. And if you're working on your ERAS application before you have your NRMP ID, make sure you go back and put it in when you do have it. There's also areas where you're going to put in your USMLE ID, your NBOME ID if you're an osteopathic applicant, and you can also put in your Sigma Sigma Phi status, your Alpha Omega Alpha status, or your Gold Humanism Honor Society status. So all of those are really great with looking good on applications. There's a section on biographical information, so you can put in your self-identification with your race and ethnicity. There is a, an area about language fluency, and I really do highly recommend if you do have, other than English, if you have fluency, even basic understanding of another language, please do include this because a lot of residencies love to see this if they do have a patient population that speaks that language. So you can even say 
that you have basic understanding, which was what I put in for French. Um, I took French in high school and I try to practice it at least daily. Um, so that's something that I could put in that I have basic fluency. But especially if you have um, advanced or functionally native fluency, you definitely want to include this in your application. You can put in your military affiliation. Hometown is a really great one. It's in addition to having that permanent address. Maybe you grew up somewhere that you don't live anymore, your parents don't live anymore, but maybe you want to apply to residency in that area, you can claim a hometown by putting in the state and city. So, make sure this is actually somewhere that you've lived before, but if you've lived in several different places throughout childhood, you can be a little bit picky with it and choose the one that has more residencies in the area. Just make sure that residency programs are able to ask you about this they're able to see what your hometown is. So, make sure that you can speak about that hometown. It's not a good idea to include somewhere that you've only lived for a few months and claim that as your hometown. So, something new on this application is geographical preferences. So, for this, for this, you can opt to say that you don't have division preferences, but I would argue that unless you truly are applying to all 50 states, I think it helps to have a preference because many programs are going to be looking for that. It can also help you with narrowing down the programs that you're applying to if you can stick within three different geographic divisions and then you can signal those divisions in your application. So, for example, when I was applying, I chose the Mid-Atlantic, the New England, and the South Atlantic regions. And I really only applied to residency positions in those regions. So I think it helps to apply within the regions that you're able to signal. So just to run through it, New England would be considered Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Vermont. The Mid-Atlantic is New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Then there's the East-North-Central, which is Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, and Wisconsin. West-North-Central is Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. South-Atlantic is Delaware, District of Columbia, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia. East-South-Central is Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Tennessee. West-South-Central is Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas. And then Mountain is Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, New Mexico, Montana, Utah, Nevada, and Wyoming. Pacific is Alaska, California, Hawaii, Oregon, and Washington. So it's good to start thinking as early as you can which ones you want to signal. Or if you truly are applying everywhere, then definitely put preference not to signal. But I would argue that it's better to have a preference than not a preference. But it could decrease your chances of getting interviews in divisions that you did not signal. Then there's a setting preference that you can choose rural or urban. And I actually, when I applied, I actually chose not to have a preference. So for the divisions and for the setting preference, there is a free response section that you can say why you chose this option. So with this, you really want to get as personal as you can. 
Um, when it comes to the divisions, you definitely want to say, well, I grew up in Pennsylvania and I would like to live near family, things like that. You can also say, say if it's near a city that you really enjoy going to, if it's somewhere that you've visited in the past, if it's uh, somewhere that you have friends or family members who live there or you've gone on vacation there in the past, really anything be as specific as possible though. And same thing with setting preferences. You can choose rural or urban. So uh, rural, a lot of rural programs are going to love to see if you have a rural preference, but that's going to hurt your chances at applying to urban programs if you're applying to a mix. So you really do have to pretty much commit. And if you're interested in more of an academic program, it might be good to include an urban preference and only apply to programs in bigger cities that are a little bit more academically inclined. For me personally, I opted to say no preference. And then in the free response section, I included that growing up and in my adult years, I've lived in a mix of rural and urban areas and I can see myself living anywhere. I would prefer selecting a program based off of the quality of the training and not necessarily where it is located. So as I was going back to edit this episode, I realized that that the total recording was definitely enough to break up into two episodes. I like to keep these episodes under a half hour. So in the next episode, I'm going to be discussing the experiences section and the meaningful experiences and the rest of the application that I didn't already talk about. View the show notes for additional information about this episode and access the link to First Line's website. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to First Line on your favorite podcast app to hear a new episode every Monday. Thanks for listening.